Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Good morning, Woodside. How are you today? It's almost the afternoon. It is great to see you all. It's a beautiful day. If you want to turn to 2 Corinthians, that's where we're going to be today. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Before we get there, I want to share uh, some information with you and update you at large. Some things going on at Woodside. Um, So Woodside has been known, uh, we talk about a lot that we're one church in many locations. And so we are here in Lake Orion, but we have 14 locations throughout Metro Detroit if you're a part of, if you're new to this place. And so we're one body, but in many different uh, communities or locations. And man, that didn't start that way. We started as a campus in Troy. Uh, What is our now, our Troy campus? And then 2005, the Lord brought together another church, Redeemer, down in Warren. And through that, we merged. That was our first campus. And through that, since then, 2005, God has been moving. And now we're to 14 campuses. Many of them were mergers with other churches. And then now many of them were plants as well. This campus you're sitting in now was the first church plant out of, or campus plant out of Woodside here about 12 years ago at Walden Middle School, just up the road. And so Over the years, God brings many different churches. We have conversations all the time with other churches that would love to join fellowship with Woodside in a capacity of being a campus. And we pray through each one of those, and we look at them and see where God is leading. And so about a year ago, God started a conversation with a a church downriver called Legacy Church. And uh, we've been in that conversation actually for more than a year, I think pre-pandemic. And so it's just come back around. We're having more conversations with them. Our elders have been meeting about this. They've gone down and met with their elders. We visited the campus. We've gone through all kinds of different scenarios with them, walking with them, praying and seeing if the Lord is in this. And so now our elders have come to a place where we believe that God is in it and he's joining us together. And so to, to make them what would be our 15th campus. And they've been doing a great work down there since 2000, or excuse me, 2000, 1963. We want to continue to see that move forward as Woodside has always been about lighthouses being open and continue to stay open. So Woodside's a different church than many other maybe multi-site churches you've, you've seen or heard about or experienced where they're generally all the same size and all that kind of stuff where Woodside is across the field. I mean, we have campuses the size of like 50 people and then some thousands. And at the heart of it, the heart of Woodside is that we would continue to see lighthouses stay open, that there would be churches and communities that stay open for the kingdom of God and for God. God's kingdom. Amen. And so I say all that to ask you to pray. So you as the congregation, if you're a member of our church, uh, you'll be voting on this actually in two weeks because it's something that goes to a congregational vote. Those of us that are members of the church. And so next week, we're going to give you some more information frequently asked questions, that kind of thing. So just be prepared for that and pray for that. And next week we'll have elders and myself to be able to answer any questions that you may or may not have, that you'd be well prepared to vote the next week on May 16th, which is also the week of our annual celebration. So uh, just pray over that, continue to pray this week that God would reveal that uh, this is where the Lord is leading us for us to join together what would be our 15th campus of Woodside Bible Church. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. Uh, I was reminded of what we're talking about today. Uh, I had a different way to open the sermon. And then on Thursday night, uh, Sarah and I got called and we ended up meeting with um, uh, our executive pastor of missions, my wife and his wife and them. Uh, we met together with uh, this, this 
this guy named Jordan, who is our um, representative from TTI. Remember back in December, uh, we partnered with an organization to plant churches India, in India and see the gospel flourish. There are literally hundreds of churches there in villages. And so I had the opportunity and, and was asked to come and meet with him for dinner. And so we went to dinner and we were sitting with him and he's sharing about uh, what God is doing through TTI and also what God is doing in India. And it was just really humbling. You ever had those experiences? I get them all often when I go on missions trips and I go there and I experience what's really happening. And so I was, I was chatting with him. We were talking about their vision and literally they have a vision to plant a church in every village in India, I think over the next 10 years. I mean, it's an amazing vision to see the gospel go forward in India. And then he's just updating about, if you haven't heard on the news, India's in rough shape right now. Just about what's happening there and uh, people in their congregation of the people that are there that are partners with and what they're walking through and uh, not just through COVID stuff, but just unbelievable circumstances. He's like, just let me show you. He opens up his phone and through WhatsApp, how they communicate. Uh, he said, here, this is just, we asked him how we could pray for him. This is what he rattled off. All of the people that are hurting and struggling and in dire straits. And then he said, hey, I want to show you a picture. This is one of our guys. And he was, looked like he had been beaten up and he had bandages all over him. And he said, this is, I forget his name. It, it's, it's not with me right now, but he was sharing the gospel, and because he was sharing the gospel, he was beaten, and they broke his shoulder and some of his ribs. And because of the state of where they're at medically over there with the overwhelming amount of COVID cases, they don't even allow him to come into the hospital. They bandaged him up and left with a broken shoulder to deal with it on his own for sharing the gospel. It's amazing. Even this week, just yesterday, I was texting with my good friend Daniel Park, DP. Maybe you remember him. Woodside sent him to Delhi, India, uh, he was my intern a number of years ago, and God just placed it on his heart to be a missionary and give his life to missions. So he left with really no point in coming back other than to come back occasionally as he needed. And he was just talking to me about what the situation is in Delhi, and they just buried one of their associates, and, and just what God is doing. And then, but also the amazing positive things where the gospel is exploding and moving forward in amazing and profound Ways. And you might say, like, Jim, why are we talking about that when it talks about when you're talking about generosity or giving? I was reminded of what I believe the text is sharing with us today is this that giving is more than money, it's actually ministry. That I was reminded sitting in a, in a restaurant in downtown Rochester as this young, young man is sharing with us what God is doing in India and how the gospel is exploding forward and thinking about the generosity of this church to give towards that initiative in a place you maybe never see and the people that have never, you'll never see or know that came to Jesus, but our generosity to that place, to there, was, was in a profound way, not just money, it was ministry as we partner with them to see the gospel go forward. And the same thing, I was reminded as I personally partnered with my brother DP to see what God has called him to do in Delhi, in, in India, that it, that's not just giving, it's, not, it's more than money, it's actually ministry. That I get to be a part of what God is doing there. And I'm reminded of that even today when we look at it, as the Apostle Paul says in the very first verse, he calls what this gift that they were going to give, the ministry for the saints. 
And so I, I thought about it that when I personally, and you as well, give to Woodside generously or in our weekly offering or global partners or vision initiatives like I was just talking about, or the things outside Woodside that you give generously to, maybe you give to missionaries or a different organization that's spreading the gospel. When we do that, it, it's not just there, we're not just giving, but we're actually pushing forward the kingdom of God with the resources that God has given us. We're becoming ministry partners in those places. And so out of that, I want you to be, that, that, that's the place I want to go forward today, that money is, or giving is not just money, it's actually ministry, and we'll see that today in our text. So look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at the first two verses with me. Now it is superfluous, now I'm not going to pronounce that again, if you want to try, you can. I Googled it and had it read to me, and I practiced all week in my, in my office, but I guarantee I'm going to hack it. Um, so it just means redundant. Now, it is redundant for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people in Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. Literally, Corinth has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. So when we look at the church in Corinth, we talk about this idea that giving is not just money, it's ministry. The first thing I see in our text is that we have to actually commit to being generous. We have to commit to giving, that we have to be a part of that. He says in the beginning, Paul says that it would be unnecessary or redundant to write to the Corinthian church about uh, giving or generosity because he already gave them instructions in 1 Corinthians and they responded in saying, yes, we want to be a part of that. Absolutely, we would love to dive in and be a part of that. Then, then why in the second verse does Paul, or why then does Paul say it's redundant? Well, he gives his reasons in verse 2. For him to write to the church in Corinth, why is this redundant? He gives this idea there. He says their commitment to what Paul has actually been giving to uh, has, has brought to the ears of the Macedonian church. If you look in verse 2, for I know your readiness for which I boast about to the people in Macedonia. So the year before, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and they were like all in. We've talked about this a couple times through the series. They're ready to go. I mean, they said, yes, absolutely. We are totally in. And so Paul took that and be like, man, you'll never believe the church in Corinth wants to be a part of this. And he goes and he shares it with the churches in Macedonia, which are a number of them. And out of that, they responded and be like, man, if Corinth's in, we're in for sure. And out of that, if you read later... In chapter 8, we've looked at it before, in verses 1 through 4, it says that it, it stirred up the impoverished Macedonians who are quite um, poor. It stirred them up to this amazing overflow of generosity, it says. But now, Titus has left Corinth and come back to the Apostle Paul and reported there's kind of a, a, a discouraging collection or people are not following through. So if it's unnecessary, this is where we're trying to get, if it's unnecessary to write to them about this, why does he actually do it? I think that the Apostle Paul is writing knowing that down below maybe their laziness or slowness to be generous, he knows that their heart's desire is to follow the Lord, is to fulfill the desire that the Lord placed in their heart the year before, and he wants to spur them on to continue with it, to actually commit, to be a part of it, to follow through. Right? Because in a year's time, somewhere between, yes, we're totally in, to the point where they actually have to follow through, they somehow got cold feet. 
questioning the Apostle Paul's uh, authority and maybe a little bit break in relationship and many different reasons. So now they're not stepping forward in committing. That's why we say we have to commit to give. Now, it sounds insignificant, but man, one of the ways that my family, something that's helped my family in generosity is just the online feature of giving at the church. Um, and at the beginning, you know, like I'm, I, when I was first starting ministry, I was super strong in a lot of different areas. Like, absolutely, we got to do this. So I was like, no, I don't want to give online. I want to give in person. And when the plate passes, because I want it to be a part of a family, I want my kids to be a part of it. I want them to see it. But then um, most of the time they didn't because they were in kids ministry. And most of the time I would forget my checkbook because who carries checks anymore and crazy people um, or whatever it may be. And so... And I found they were like, hey, you know what? I think it would just be helpful for us that if we just committed, we just did it online. I love our previous senior pastor, Pastor Doug Schmidt, he, he, would, he would call it um, automatic faithfulness. I always laughed at that. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, but also, I think for my family many times, because I wasn't always the best with my finances, at the time when I was ready to give, there wasn't finances there because I wasn't actually making it a commitment, a priority to me. And it seems super basic, but I think it's super important. Because like the Corinthians, myself included, and Sarah, at the end of the day, we can actually get cold feet in the process, and we can put our priorities in some other place, or we can forget, or we can neglect it, or whatever it may be, but actually, I want to be a person that actually commits all in. This is where the Lord has called me, this is what he's called me to, and I want to actually be a part of that. And I don't want to be distracted by all the other things that God could allow me to be distracted by. So now, not just with Woodside, but like other organizations that we support. Man, it's easy for me. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. It's there. And I'm committed. Once I press yes, I'm in. I've committed to it because the Lord called me to it. And me above all people, even the pastor of the church, I want to be a part of everything that God is doing as well because he calls me just as he calls everyone else. It's fascinating, just like the church in Corinth, they grew cold. Some are around a year's time to the things of God. I mean, before they were super bold, like we're in, we want to be a part of this, but then something changed. Their hearts grew culture, or, or colder. Somehow, this can very easily happen to us in our culture today. Very easily for us, maybe that's part of your story, like there was a time in your life where you're a super generous person, not just with church, but outside the church, and then priorities come, and kids came, and this happened, and that happened, and somewhere along the way, now when you look at the totality of your finances, when you look at them, all of them point back to you. That's where we have to do soul care and say, Lord, what does it look like for me to take a step to be committed to the things of you that I'd be prepared and ready to be a part of that? Well, what I find really powerful about this story is the impact that the commitment of the Corinthian church made on those around them. Sure, when we're generous, our generosity can make an impact on those people that we're generous with, for sure. It's awesome. So what I'm talking about even in India, it's awesome that Woodside would gather around and say, man, we want to see churches flourish in India. So we're as a church going to give generously there that God might do great works and we're impacting there on a big scale. But what's fascinating too is the way in which it impacts other people that aren't even a part of it. The people in Macedonia heard about the generosity of the people in Corinth and they're like, man, I want to be that too. I want to be a part of that. It's beautiful that our commitment to generosity, you think about it, it makes an impact not just on those we're being generous with, but our commitment to generosity also 
inspires other people. And it's amazing to watch and see, this is exactly what's happening in the text, that men, when, when people are generous, when people are overflowing in generosity, what God calls us to, like these people who don't have much, but 12% of $13 million from cups of rice. Unbelievable. I left that, I watched it, I'm like, man, God, what can you do with my simple act of generosity? It spurs me on to want to be generous with my stuff and what God has given me because our generosity, when we commit, it doesn't just impact those we're generous with, it also impacts those who are watching. And that was my heart when I said back in the day, I wanted to like write checks and put them in the offering plate in church because I wanted my kids to see it and be a part of it, right? But I was always fearful that I was going to bounce a check. Like, who bounces a check when they're giving it to church? Like, uh, it's the worst. But think about your children as they watch. Those of you who have kids. And all that you have is just, if it's just pointing back to you, what am I teaching my children? What am I teaching my children about what God's given me? That they just watch and see, like, dad spends all of his money on this, and mom spends money on this, and our money goes towards us, and it doesn't really go on from us. I'm training and equipping my children. Otherwise, I could actually spur my children onto a life of generosity if they watched and they took part of what I did in life. And we talked about it. The generosity breeds generosity in other, other people. But it's fascinating um, when you read this text, and I have to move on. At the end of verse 2, he says, and your zeal, the people's zeal in Corinth, their initial zeal that he's now trying to get them to follow through, your zeal has stirred up most of them. My prayer is that we wouldn't talk about generosity for six or seven weeks and that it only stirs up most of us but that it sinks deep into our own hearts and lives that we as a people of God would be committed to generosity in this place and outside of this place as Jesus has called us to. Well, also, it's not just about committing, but also if you look in verses three and four, it talks about being prepared to give. That's our second thing. Look in verse three. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready. There's some themes here. As I said as I said you would be in verse four. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So he's, there's this idea of being prepared and ready that the Apostle Paul wants to go on and explain. I want you to be prepared because I've told them about you. If you look at the entire story, you can kind of gather in your mind what the plan was, right? So the Macedonian churches completed their gift for the Jerusalem church, and now they've selected representatives to travel to Jerusalem to meet with Paul, and then Paul and them are going to travel to Corinth, and then they're going to collect there. They're going to grab their representatives, and then all of them together are going to travel onto the Church of Jerusalem and say, here it is. We're here to support you. All of us are here together. But before the Apostle Paul arrives with all the representatives, the poor representatives from Macedonia who heard about the generosity of Corinth, before they arrive and find a church that is actually not what they were told and be humiliated, he's sending representatives that they would actually be ready. He says, so that his boasting won't be in vain, that they would actually be prepared. Can you imagine the humiliation for a moment? Just for a moment. 
How, how potentially humiliated they would be. The poverty-stricken Macedonians heard of this unbelievable church in Corinth that is extremely generous, so they get on board. They want to be a part of it. And out of that, it says in scriptures that they respond in giving a, a wealth of generosity even beyond their means, in their poverty, even begging the apostle Paul, let us please be a part of this work. And then you picture this raggedy group of Macedonians who in their poverty show up in Corinth and find the wealthy church in Corinth that they've been told is being so generous as actually not. So his appeal was to the church of Corinth and at the very beginning of chapter eight till now, there's a climax that happens that he wants them to live up to their publicity. Live up, commit, follow through. And he's sending someone on ahead of them, that they wouldn't be humiliated, that they would be prepared. He says, so that they may be ready and prepared to give. We'll talk about it in a moment. There's another reason also. He doesn't want them to feel bad in the moment and give out of a heart that's like, okay, uh, these people heard about us. They, we've talked about this. We better give something. He doesn't want that either. So he's sending them ahead that they would be prepared. Again, a couple months ago, Sarah and I are sitting in this thing called The Journey of Generosity, and we're watching videos like this. There's many more of them that are profoundly inspiring. And then we're reading texts together and just talking about what the Lord calls us to in generosity. And then we're spending time alone in prayer and just listening to the Lord and what he presses upon us. And it's fascinating. I've already shared many examples of what the Lord did in that moment, even steering us in direction of buying or looking for different homes, that kind of thing. But it, we left that weekend, and one of the things we thought that the Lord was saying to us in that weekend is that we weren't prepared. We weren't prepared because when it, when it gets down to it, man, it's interesting. Um, yeah, you, you, I, we, we try to be generous with the church and with, with missionaries and other things, but what the Lord was pressing on us is that if the Holy Spirit, say, pressed on me, that if I had neighbors, I do kind of right now, they're my brother's neighbors, but I live there, but if you had neighbors and the Lord in a moment pressed on Sarah and my heart to be generous with the neighbor, because maybe he just lost his job or he's going through a tough time, and the greatest way that I can represent Christ to him is to be a representative in generosity and by some means maybe have the, an opportunity to share the gospel. And, and he pressed into us like, man, if I led you in that direction to be generous in a significant way, not just buying the coffee behind me, I'm not saying that's wrong, keep doing it, it's fantastic, but in a significant way, I wouldn't be prepared. And the Lord led us in that weekend to say, Lord, what does it look like for you in your, your monthly needs, in your budget, to have stuff set aside, finances set aside, that when the Spirit of God presses in and leads, you're prepared to step in. You're prepared to move. So when we were told at Woodside that, man, there's, there's this huge thing that's happening in Texas, and there's uh, electric out, and we're going to send aid there, and if you want to give towards that, I'm not prepared because everything's gone for just what I need. And the Lord just pressed upon me, like, what does it look like for you, Jim, to be prepared? Because yes, we need to be committed, but being committed starts way before that with being uh, pre prepared. And preparation starts well before the moment that the Lord leads us. It gets, drills down into the moments of my life. It talks about the details of my life and what I'm spending my, um, my resources on and what are my spending habits and what am I making decisions with in life so that I can actually be prepared. Because generosity starts well before the moment of generosity. It starts in my preparation to be generous 
What a horrible thing that I feel the Lord pressing on my heart to step in and being generous, then I have no means to do so. Now, I want to be prepared that when the Lord presses on my heart and says, go, step in, I am ready and prepared to do so. So I, can, I just ask a practical question to those of you online here. Have you ever sat down and figured out where your finances go, or your resources go? I'm blown away by how many people have no idea where their money goes. Since the beginning of the year, even myself, I'm not the greatest. I've been going through every week and trying to figure it out just so I can get a good idea of where it's going, what's happening. It's a humbling thing. I found out how much Sarah's eating out. It's crazy. <laughs> not totally playing. <laughs> it's not Sarah, it's probably me. I'm the problem for sure. Uh, but just as practical things like that. What does it look like for you just to be practically prepared and ready to step in when the Lord calls you? Because it's, again, going back to giving and generosity is more than money. It's ministry. It allows us to step in and follow the the Spirit's leading to step into people's lives, our church's life, and those around us. And then the last thing, this is probably the most important of all, is that we are to cheerfully give. God doesn't want you dragging your feet. Don't leave this place. I've said it the whole time. Don't feel guilt or shame. Don't leave here and be like, Jim told me I did this. I have to do this. The Bible, I guess, says this. I guess I'll do it. No, God has something else for us. Look in verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is, man, I can't say this enough. Through everything we've talked about over the last number of weeks, this has to be a part of our hearts. God wants it to come from a willing and joy-filled heart, not an exaction, which literally means a demand. So not like the Apostle Paul's demanding it, you must do this. And you're like, fine, I guess I'll do it. But no, from a heart that says, less, Lord, I'd love to be a part of that. You've been so generous with me. I want to be generous with you. And so he sends this early party of believers to to go there and give them free time to prepare their hearts before the Apostle Paul and the Macedonians arrive. He wants their their willingness, their giving to be from a willing heart, right? So you can imagine the situation. Paul shows up with the Macedonians who are quite poor and out of that poverty, they gave generously and they show up in in Corinth and then you're there in the moment. May they bring everybody in a service and like, okay, we're going to pass the plate. And you're like, okay. Um, Those people gave, we should probably give something, honey. Got anything? He doesn't want that. Before anyone arrives, he said, I wanted you to, out of your own joy and heart, as the Lord is leading you, he says, as you have decided in your heart to respond. And then I love, in verse 6, he, he turns a page with a positive, like, proverb-like statement to encourage their joyful and generous giving. And he says this, essentially, he says, the lesser the sowing, the lesser the reaping. The greater the sowing, the greater the reaping. He's saying that where giving is done generously or bountifully, there will be a bountiful outcome. Like freely giving generous contributions produce a bountiful yield. Now, what's amazing is that in this proverb-like 
um, statement. There's a Greek word that's sometimes translated blessing. Here it's, here it's translated bountifully. So if you read it in light of that, this is what he's saying. Thus supplying, the literal sense here, he's saying, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But, but whoever sows, the, sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. What God is saying, what Paul is saying, through, what God is saying through Paul, he's saying that, man, God gives back blessing to those who give as a matter of blessing. And I'll tell you right now, there's no way in which we give that comes out of a heart that is unjoyful, that is meant to bless. It's like, well, I have to do it, so I'm going to do it. So that, that doesn't come from a heart of blessing. What the Lord is saying, I want your heart. I don't just want your hands. I want your heart. I don't just want your checkbook. I want your heart. I want your heart. And out of a heart that has experienced the generosity of God flows generosity. That's why he lands the plane with God loves a cheerful giver. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's actually quite the opposite, cheerful, than reluctant or compulsory. The grace that God has given to us was voluntary, it was freely, it was generously bestowed on us. He says in verse 6, this is the whole point, that we would respond with a heart that is generous. You remember what the Apostle Paul just said a short bit ago, a couple weeks ago, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Again, I told you the first week, I will land the plane here every week. The reason that I cheerfully give, that you should cheerfully be generous in here and outside of here is because of the gospel. We cheerfully, freely, joyfully are generous because we've experienced a grace that was cheerfully, freely, and joyfully lavished on us. What, what does that look like for you? Is generosity something that comes from a cheerful heart from you? I'll just be straight with you. I'm a pastor, but I'm also a broken sinner. Many times, it does not come from a heart or a place of cheerful. Like, yeah, I guess I have to do it. Or other than, Lord, I have experienced what you've given to me, that you've given me your only son, that you gave me everything, that you're the most generous being in all creation. And out of that, Lord, I want to be generous to you. Because what I read in scripture actually says the opposite, that Jesus wasn't reluctant or he wasn't in, under compulsion. No, it says this. It says, for the joy Set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. That is our God. And out of that place, God calls me and he calls you to respond in cheerful generosity to the world around us for his kingdom and his purpose. Because again, I'll say, giving is more than money. It's ministry that we partner with the Lord we partner with God's people to push forward the kingdom of God. And I just want to make sure I say that I don't know who you are. I've been meeting so many new people the last number of weeks. Maybe you're new around here and you came on the great time of us going through a giving series. That's fantastic. Hopefully you hear my heart and our heart at Woodside that again, we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. 
that God has something much greater for you than that. But I, I, I want to make sure I'm always sharing that maybe today, for you, the most practical step in stepping into generosity is experiencing generosity. Maybe there's people here under the sound of my voice or online that you've been a part of church, but you've never experienced the gospel. Maybe that's why it's so hard for you when you hear things like this to share is because you haven't experienced it fully in the gospel. And man, I don't, I don't care who you are. Maybe you're here. What an amazing thing. Your story is that you gave your life to Christ during a series on generosity. What an amazing thing, right? So if you're watching online or you're here today, I want you to know that, man, God was so generous that he gave up his rights. He came to earth, lived an amazing, perfect life for you, and he gave his life on that cross for you, and he rose from the grave victorious for you, that you could have life, and not just a, a shallow, stupid, or poor life, but an abundant life in Christ. Amen? Man, and for you today, if you don't know Jesus, in this moment, Jesus is not calling you to be generous. He's calling you to experience generosity. To confess that you're a sinner. Repent of those sins. That we're all broken. We have mistakes and, 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 and brokenness in our past and in our current. Confess that to the Lord. Repent of it and give him your life. Believe that he did on the cross. What he did on the cross was real and it was for you. Place your faith in that. Trust in that holy above everything else. And the Lord will save you right now in your seat right now, online. Maybe even during the last song. Or if you'd like, come forward in the last song. I love it. I grew up in a church where we came forward every Sunday. Don't be afraid. You can't come forward online, but it's all right. You can go to the couch. Or to come talk to me afterwards. Come talk with some of our prayer team afterwards. I'd love you to experience the grace of God in your life. We're going to wrap up. If you have your communion, we're going to take a moment take cumin. Don't take it yet. I want to wait till the end that we could take it together in remembrance. But I want us to take a few moments. I'm going to invite the band to come out and they're just going to sing. I want you just to sit and allow the Lord to speak to your heart and your minds today that we would be in a place of remembering what the Lord did on the cross for us so many years ago. The greatest act of generosity that he gave his life. He broke, his body was broken and his blood was shed for us that we might experience newness of life. And so I want you to take a few moments to just reflect on the cross, pray, ask the Lord to speak to your heart and your life, and maybe even do a little bit of work, soul work. And the scriptures say to not take communion unworthily. What he's saying is as to not be living in outright sin and brokenness and just living against the gospel while then taking communion. And if you're there and you're just at a place where you're just not with the Lord, don't even take communion. Just take a moment, reflect. If you want to repent of that and move forward, and they'll take communion together. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, we believe at Woodside that communion is for those who fully believe in Christ and are followers of Jesus. So if you're not prepared, you're not ready, you're not there yet, just let, it, just let this moment go by and spend a few moments just asking the Lord to speak to you. Maybe today, for some of us, some of the confession is, is that, Lord, you've been so generous with me in the cross. What I'm about to remember, but I have not followed suit. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.